Well, good morning. It's an honor to be here. I do bring greetings from my wife, Dana, and uh, all eight of our children. They're 23, 23, 21, 20, 18, 13, 14, and 14. So you can pray for me anytime you feel like it. <laughs> there are some things we didn't think through. I am uh, honored, uh, honored to be here, thankful for your pastor inviting me to come. I was wondering what kind of reception I might get, uh, knowing that uh, your pastor is going to be joining us at Southwestern uh, Seminary uh, to help train the next generation of preachers. And uh, I already this morning, for some reason, I've had many people tell me they're praying for me. So <laughs> there must be something you folks know that I don't yet. <clears throat> but I am thankful for your pastor and thankful uh, God bless uh, the future pastors who get to study uh, with Chris Osborne over the next 10 years or so, and so I'm thankful that he's going to have that opportunity, but more thankful that these students that come from all over the world uh, will have an opportunity to study hand-in-hand uh, -hand with him. They're very thankful for this church. I have many friends uh, who are uh, the product of this particular church, and I've had the privilege of teaching uh, students at Southern Seminary over the years that were uh, from this church, and so I'm thankful for you and the ministry uh, that you have uh, been been, to, been able to give to uh, the young men and women that go into gospel ministry from this place. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. <clears throat> this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one over against the other. For who sees, everything different, who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already, you have all you want. Already, you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited, exalted, and exhibited us, apostles, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ. We're weak, but you're strong. You were held in honor, and we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I've been a Christian for about 34 years, and it's hard to believe it's been that long. 
but I have observed a few things over the years, and one of those things is the temptation for Christians and churches to create factions. When I first became a believer, the church that I was at uh, was really big into Bill Gothard and the Institute of Basic Life Principles, and even if you never heard of him, uh, what happened in that church is that people would refer to themselves as Gothardites, and then the people that didn't adhere to his teachings and some of the things he was doing, they were the non-Gothardites, and so that created a faction and some distress in the church because one group thought that they were better than the other group, and the other group thought they were better than the other group. And then in that same church, there became some distress about school options. So you had people that were homeschooling, then private school, then public school. So the homeschoolers thought that the private school and the public school people were selling out. The private school people thought that the homeschoolers and the public schoolers were just getting an inferior education. And then the public schoolers thought that the homeschoolers and the private schoolers were uh, failing to train their children how to interact with the world and evangelism was at stake. But each group thought that each other was better than the other group and more superior to the other group. And then in the same church, there was this parenting philosophy that became popular at some point in the evangelical community. And a couple by the name of Gary and Marie Ezzo came up with a parenting strategy called Growing Kids God's Way. And what happened in the church was there were people that would declare themselves their Ezo families, and Ezo families would raise Ezo children. And the problem is that the Ezo families raising the Ezo children did not want their children being around non-Ezo families, as they called them, who were raising non-Ezo children. And all of it is just the result of arrogance and pridefulness. But that's exactly what Paul is dealing with here. In the, Corinthians church, in the Corinthian church, there were some people who were saying, well, I'm of Paul. Paul's my guy. And then others were saying, well, I'm, I'm of Cephas. Cephas is my apostle. He's the guy. He's better than all of them. And then there were some that were saying, I'm of Apollos. And so they, they were creating these factions, and they were declaring one faction better than the other. Paul's better than all of them. No, Cephas is better. No, Apollos is better. And we're going to follow one of those three, and they're going to declare one of those three is better than the other. This happens all the time in our churches, and sometimes even in our personal lives. But Paul answers this problem, and he says this. This is how one should regard us. Not as a leader of a faction and better than one another. This is how you should regard us. First, as servants. And the word servant here, Paul is using in a particular way, a particular word, that means the under rower of a ship. Somebody that is in the hull of the ship, sitting alongside other servants, and just constantly, all day long, rowing that boat. He's not beating the cadence drum. He's certainly not the captain deciding where the boat is going. He sees himself as somebody in the bottom of the boat, just making the boat go forward. And then he says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy, that they be found faithful. So now he sees himself as a servant, someone who is not exalting himself, and now he sees himself as a steward. The steward was the household steward, and he took care of the household affairs for the household owner. He's not the owner of the household, he's just the one carrying out the wishes and desires of the household owner. 
Paul is seeing himself as secondary. The Corinthians wanted to see themselves as primary, but Paul says, no, see yourselves as someone in the bottom of the boat, rowing the boat. See yourself as someone who is just carrying out orders of someone over them. And the steward is accountable to the household owner because the household owner is the only one that knows what instructions he's given to the steward, to the household manager. And Paul is saying trustworthiness and faithfulness is determined by the household owner, not by other people. He's the only one that can determine whether or not the steward has been faithful because he's the one that has given the instructions in the first place. Now, Paul is not minimizing character here. He's not minimizing character. Character is always important to the Apostle Paul. But what we're doing here in this context is just simply determining how does one know if they're faithful? How do you know if other people are being faithful? And Paul says, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. Because... Human wisdom is unable to determine whether or not another person is faithful or not because you have not given the other person the instructions. Only the household owner has. In fact, Paul says, I don't even judge myself. I don't trust the wisdom of others in determining whether or not I'm faithful. I don't listen to that, and I don't even trust my own self. I'm not even sure if I can determine whether or not I'm really truly being faithful to what God has called me to be faithful to. Part of this stems from us comparing ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to others, and sometimes maybe even some of you in here today have lost some joy in your work, you've lost some joy in the various tasks that you've been given. You may have lost joy in the ministry. You may have been jo lost some joy just in your general Christian life. Human wisdom is very faulty here. I have a 14-year-old son that when he was 13, he got, he got a bacteria we didn't know it was a bacteria. He was in the hospital, and the doctors couldn't figure out what it was. The, the disease control center had to be brought in, and they eventually figured out it was, it was a bacteria not even normally found in humans. It's only found in dirt. So 13-year-old boys don't wash their hands. You do the math, all right? And the, doctor, the doctors couldn't figure it out. And at one point, they were just, it seemed to me they were just guessing. I had an intern come in there one time and say, here's what I think it is. I think he's having an abdominal migraine. I'm like, have you even had anatomy and physiology yet? Why don't you just say it's got, he's got auditory appendicitis? I mean, that doesn't, none of this makes sense. You guys are just guessing. Human, human wisdom is often insufficient, but it is particularly insufficient in determining one's faithfulness, especially if you're trying to determine the faithfulness of others. But Paul is very adamant here. Earlier in the letter, he says, each one's work will become manifest for the day, capital D, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
When Paul says, I don't even judge myself, he's not discounting accountability or the church making pronouncements of morality or immorality. My goodness, in in 1 Corinthians 5, he's going to tell, tell the Corinthians that they should deliver a particular gentleman because of his immorality over to Satan. So Paul's not ignoring the accountability here. We just tend to measure the success of others by how many books they've written, how many followers they have on social media, how many attendees are at certain conferences that they'll be at. We, we measure, we try to measure other people's faithfulness by those types of things. And if we don't, if we don't know all of those things, don't worry, the people out there on social media will tell you about their faithfulness. And about how many of this and how much of that. It's like CrossFit. How do you know people are doing CrossFit? They'll tell you. I keep telling our students, quit talking about platform. This is very common in the evangelical community to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a platform and I'm going to have a lot of followers and I'm going to have a lot of people wanting to hear what I've got to say and then I'm going to use that platform for the gospel. Quit doing that. That is not how God operates. Paul says, no, why don't you aspire to be the under rower? Why don't you aspire to be the household manager, not the household owner? In fact, the way we measure faithfulness a lot of times, it could appear that some of the most faithful among us look like failures because of the way we create our own measures and our arrogance. And then in verse 5, Paul says, therefore, don't pronounce judgment before the time. See, Paul is not, is not just telling us and prohibiting just mere judgment sometimes it's just premature it's not just judgment it's premature judgment we don't know and God will bring it all together in his time whether or not you are faithful or not you don't get to decide the timing of the judgment of others faithfulness in fact he's saying don't do it at all it's insufficient you have no idea And then Paul says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one over against the other. So again, Paul keeps going back and back to this sense of pridefulness and arrogance that drives us to have factions and then drives us to judge others' faithfulness over against our own. And he says... I've applied all these things so that you can learn from us not to go beyond what is written. Beyond what that is written? Well, I think it means what was written in the Old Testament that warded against, that spoke against pridefulness and arrogance. Don't go beyond what is written. I also think it could mean, in addition to that could mean, that Paul is saying it's one thing to just honor somebody for their service It's another thing to exalt them, name a faction for them, and then brag that that faction is better than the other factions. 
Faithfulness is the key. Verse 7, Paul says, For who sees anything different in you? Who do you think you are is what he's saying here. Who do you think you are? What do you have that you did not receive? And then, if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? I have a friend that not too long ago got a really great new job. And he took me to lunch and he said, give me some advice. I said, here's my advice. You're going to make more money than you've ever made before in this job. And that's going to bring certain temptations because before you got this job, you had to ask yourself, should I buy this or can I buy this? And the answer is no, you didn't have enough money. So that decision was made for you. Now the answer is going to be, yes, I can buy it. Now the more difficult decision is, should I buy it? It's a way more important question. Should I buy it? You're going to have a bigger budget. You're going to have a bigger expense account. You're going to have more authority. You're going to have more privilege. And the the temptation is going to be gargantuan that you're going to be wanting to use these things for your own personal gain, for your own personal privilege. And the bigger temptation is that you're going to start to believe that you deserve this. What do you have that you did not receive? Earlier in the letter, Paul says, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they're futile. Human wisdom is insufficient in this. Do you have good parents? What do you have that you did not receive? You've got a good pastor? What do you have that you did not receive? Friends? You got good friends? You have one friend? What do you have that you did not receive? Did you enjoy a meal already today? What do you have that you did not receive? We're in this climate-controlled environment. It's hot as blazes outside. It feels wonderful in here. What do we have that we did not receive? I like to, when my children get opportunities in their life that I help create for them, I find it beneficial to them and probably therapeutic to me to let them know they didn't do that. That person that took your call, that met with you, that stuff you got for free, you didn't do that. that wasn't, that's not because you're so awesome. That's not because you're so strategic with your life at 11 years old. That's because of your mother and me. It's like I always say about graduations and weddings. It's when our children figure out how to exploit all the relationships that their parents have developed over the last 30 years. <laughs> what do you have? Honestly. It's a great question, and it should, it should promote a gargantuan level of humility in our lives. What do we have that we did not receive? And it's, it's not just mere ingratitude, because not only were the Corinthians doing, not acknowledging that they had not received it, but now they're boasting 
It's not just mere ingratitude. It's just the sheer arrogance of now boasting as if you didn't receive it. But I, but I fear we do this all the time over much smaller things. And sometimes I think, we think, I know salvation is a free gift of God, lest any man should boast, but I'm making everything else happen myself. And that's why Paul had to tell the Galatians, oh, you foolish Galatians, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? No, the way you started this thing is the way you live this thing out, by grace, by grace, by grace, so that you can't boast about anything. We shouldn't be boasting about anything. And then, and then Paul says, already, you have all you want. You're rich, look at you. Without us, you have become kings. What Paul is appealing to now is their sense of worldliness. This isn't just pride, it's now worldliness. Their love for the world. They want to be accepted by the world. And that's why Paul is, is saying, look, oh, you already got it all, look at you. You're kings. <clears throat> I became a Christian after high school. And to be honest with you, one of the stumbling blocks for me when I was in high school, when I was not a believer, is observing the people that said they were Christians and how worldly they were. It was a puzzle to me why they were always trying to, to act like the rest of us who were not believers, to try to get the approval of us. And I often ask myself the question, why, why do I want to be like you, trying to be like me? I'm already like me. If I can encourage you teenagers in here, I know that it is incredibly difficult to be a Christian in our culture today, especially in the middle of teen culture. But can I just encourage you? Don't be a stumbling block to people like me. Would I have made fun of a Christian in high school? Sure. Sure. Would I have made it more difficult? Sure. But don't cave into that. It's one of the marks of a great testimony in Jesus Christ is to not be like the world. It was a stumbling block to me. How much, how much time do you give, all of us, how much time do you give in your thoughts wishing that the world thought better of you? Wishing, wishing that the world respected you more? Wishing that the world thought you were smarter instead of a, a dumb old person that believes in all this crazy Christianity stuff. How much time do we give thinking and wishing that the world viewed us as more successful instead of a failure because we're giving our lives to certain things that they might not respect? When I was nine years old, one of my favorite television shows was The Six Million Dollar Man. And Six Million Dollars isn't as much money today as it was when I was nine, but it was a lot of money when I was nine, and it bought a lot of stuff for this guy in a NASA accident. And my best recollection is that he had two bionic legs, a bionic eye, and a bionic right arm. And he could run 60 miles an hour. He could see forever and man that right arm. The pre, the, when the show would open every time it showed him in a bowling alley and he's bowled a bowling ball and he didn't just knock over the pins he pulverized them he turned them into powder and I just remember thinking at nine years old I never had even been in a bowling alley at nine but I had these dreams of going to a bowling alley and with a bionic arm and pulverizing all the pins clean up on lane 12 
This kid just pulverized them all. And the, the appeal of the, of the show was that he, he didn't wear a cape. He looked like a normal man, but inside him was all this circuitry and all sorts of things, but he looked like a normal man. He didn't turn into something. He was just very unassuming. People underestimated him all the time. It is a good thing to be underestimated. It's okay that the world does not think highly of you. Paul mentioned he didn't trust himself to judge his own self. Now he's pointing out how self-deceived the Corinthians are. They actually think they're faithful and doing all the right things when in the end they're just exalting themselves. They love the world too much. The world, the world is naming the apostles kings. And the apostles are suffering. The flesh wants the approval of the world. The flesh wants to measure faithfulness by the world's standards. Paul says, I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, not first of all. Like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. And now he gets sarcastic. We're fools. You're wise. Look how wise you are. We're just, we're the fools. We're weak. Look how strong you are. We're weak. We're held in disrepute. Look how you're held in honor. The world loves you. The world honors you. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our hands. Men who worked with their hands when this was written were, were looked down upon. At every turn, they're despised, they're persecuted, they're homeless, they're suffering. They don't have nice clothes. They don't have a lot of money. They don't even have a home. What Paul is saying is sometimes, sometimes faithfulness doesn't, doesn't look right to our eyes. This is the whole life of Paul. Paul, Paul was accused over and over again. How, how could God be on your side? How could you be serving God? the true and living God, look at your life. You've been beaten. You've been left for dead. You're on the run. You don't have anything. This was a story over and over again with him. People discredited his ministry because it wasn't showy. He didn't have a lot of stuff, and he did not appear to be worldly successful. And yet, Paul's saying, no, this is, this is the life of the underrower. This is the life of the steward. Comparing ourselves to, another, to one another, seeking the love from the world, all impede our faithfulness. And Paul here is writing like a father, like a father to the Corinthians. He loves the Corinthians. Paul's life was changed by the gospel. And a life faithfully lived for the gospel doesn't always look successful in our eyes.
Paul says, we're reviled, we're persecuted, we're slandered. And all the while, he's just being faithful. And faithfulness brings about humility. Faithfulness brings about patience. Why? Because we're not going to be too premature to judge whether each other is faithful and even our own selves. We're just going to keep staying faithful. It brings about patience. It brings about gratitude because we're reminded over and over again, what do I have that I didn't receive? I've received everything. Everything that I have has been given to me. And then it brings about a confidence in God's judgment, not human wisdom. That's what allows you to endure the persecution. That's what allows you to endure being reviled is because you have more confidence in the judgment of God than you do in the judgment of other men and women. And if in the middle of all that faithfulness you find yourself thinking, I'm, I'm, being, I'm like the scum of the earth, then rejoice. Because that's when you'll find yourself in the company of the apostles, not the world around you. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word. I pray that this morning that your word has been an encouragement to those who are discouraged, who are comparing themselves to others, what seems to be faithfulness in the lives of others and what seems to be very mundane in our own lives. I pray that you would encourage those today who feel faint-hearted, who have lost some joy in their work and in their life and other places in their life. Father, I pray that you would eliminate arrogance, pridefulness. I pray that as the apostles prayed, the disciples prayed, Lord, we have faith, but increase our faith. I pray that for myself. I pray that for this congregation this morning, that we would have faith and trust in your judgment. Father, I pray that those in this room who are confused about being the scum of the earth and being reviled and an under rower, I pray that those in here who are here for the first time, or I pray that they would understand that the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for our sins, rose again on a third day. I pray that they would be inquisitive about the gospel message and how it goes against all worldly wisdom, but Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Pray now as we go into this time of invitation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have a time of invitation this morning. There'll be staff members and pastors and others at the front here. There are things that uh, you want to pray with them about. They want them to pray with you about. Those of you that have questions about the gospel, those of you that may have lost joy in your life and in your work, just want to have someone to come alongside you and encourage you. Uh, 
folks down front would be able to happy to do that this morning.